and the witch hunt continues. But they're getting hit hard on this witch hunt because when they look at the information, it's a joke. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Halenville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week, as usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But once again, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler host of the Nicole Sandler Show, based at, you guessed it, NicoleSandler.com. And I'm here again today only because, well, Brad's a dear friend, and he is dealing with one of the worst parts of life. In case you missed the announcement last week, um, Brad's father suffered a pretty major stroke on September 11th. He and Desi immediately went to go be with their family, where they sat by his bedside for over a week, and then on the 24th of September, uh, he passed away. So Brad, dealing with family and funerals and sitting Shiva and everything that goes with it, he hopes to be back very soon. Hopefully uh, in a few days we'll have an exact date when Brad and Desi will return. In the meantime, thank you for bearing with me. I hope you're enjoying the programs we're putting on for you. And today, well, I love our first guest is one of the reasons I love doing this job. I, I really love being able to talk to people, people who I think are really smart, and whose opinions I respect, and who on top of it can make me laugh. And our first guest today fits all those bills. In light of the tsunami of news and earth-shattering news at that, I wanted to be able just to have a full-on discussion with someone in the know. So, meet Ellie Mastal. On the line now is Ellie Mastal. He's executive editor of the Above the Law blog at AboveTheLaw.com and a contributor to The Nation magazine. We see him not often enough on MSNBC, where for some reason they haven't yet made him a paid contributor or analyst. Ellie, if I had the funds, I would do it. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on for free because I, I love hearing from you. So, um, wow, what a week this has been, huh? Yeah, this is uh, this is a... Uh... I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue kind of week. <laughs> I hear you on that one. Uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the week, it, it appeared that impeachment was dead in the water. Uh, the, the Democrats were playing word games as to whether or not we were in a, an impeachment inquiry or not. And Jerry Nadler said, uh, the no, I don't, I'm not going to talk about the nomenclature anymore. Um, and then we heard of a whistleblower and everything changed. Uh, <laughs> And here we are. Look, I, I don't know whether uh, Nancy Pelosi is a genius or <laughs> or simply play the numbers on this one, right? But like, it guess it turns out that ignoring crime to wait for him to commit more crime <laughs> um, was a good strategy because um, inevitably, like a swallow to Capistrano, um, he could not prevent himself from committing more crime the day after he seemingly got away with crime. Right. Um, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. I mean, what you're pointing out here is just astounding. It, it goes to the hubris and, and um, total, 
uh, I guess, um, idiocy of the president for not getting this. That the the call with Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, happened the day after Robert Mueller's testimony on Capitol Hill that everyone perceived as ineffective, let's put it that way. Uh, right. Don, and Donald Trump appeared to have gotten away with, uh, you know, murder. Uh, and But the next day he does exactly what he was accused of doing that he got away with before. It just defies this, logic. This is why, though, it's so important to hold him accountable, to hold people accountable um, who do bad things, because obviously he took the message that it was okay for him to get Russian, for him to get foreign help to interfere from the election. That is the message that he got from the Mueller testimony and that he got from the Democrats' unwillingness um, to, to prosecute the case against him. And so, of course, the very next thing he did was go out and try to get foreign help to influence an election. You have to, you know, I've made this analogy before, but like if you, if you are a parent and you catch your kid with their hand in the cookie jar and you say nothing, guess what? Mm. The kid's going to eat the cookie. Absolutely. Like that's the next thing that happens. And Trump has done is exactly what Trump did. He got, got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Nobody said anything. He was like, well, this is a tasty-ass cookie. I'm going to eat it. Um, and so now that we've kind of re-caught him, um, it is so critically important to hold him accountable and let him know that this kind of behavior is not okay. Without a doubt. Now, Ellie Mistal, let, you know, just think back, what, what was it, a month or so ago that Donald Trump did that ridiculously long, day-long interview with George Stephanopoulos? But the, the telling point in there was when Stephanopoulos asked him, you know, if you're offered information on a political opponent by a foreign government again, would you go to the FBI? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I've never gone to the FBI. Would you take it? Yeah, maybe I'd do both. Now, whose job was it to tell him at that point? Wrong answer. You don't take information on a political opponent from a foreign government. Right. Well, I think there are a couple of people whose jobs it was. I think kind of the first and most obvious person were were all the people in the White House, like the White House counsel, Mm -hmm. the attorney general, like all of those people had a responsibility to America and they failed. And we know they were going to fail because they were appointed by Trump, but they failed nonetheless, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The second person's job who it was was Chris Ray of the FBI. Um, He probably should have said something. And obviously he doesn't want the Comey treatment, so he failed. And we kind of understood why he was going to fail, but he failed. And then the third person whose job it was was Nancy Pelosi to say, like, well, if that's how you think, that's – I mean, remember, impeachable offenses do not have to be committed crimes. Exactly. He just happens to commit crimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So I think right after that Stephanopoulos interview, you know, Nancy Pelosi should have called in to his show. You know, first-time caller, long-time listener. And, (laughs) like, just to be clear, George, if he does that, that's an impeachable offense. Um, none of that happened, and that's you know one of the many reasons why he continued to to try to do this. Uh, exactly. Now, I have a, a a problem with many in the corporate media. I don't understand why, when Trump makes a statement like that, journalists don't confront him with it. I I mean, uh, and it's maybe why I'm not a journalist. But if I were George mm-hmm. Stephanopoulos, I would have said, "Excuse me, sir, don't you know that that is wholly." illegal it's it's impeachable even i mean he just sort of let it go like uh, okay that's your answer i mean one of the I, first of all i think you're totally right mm-hmm. second of all i think one of the interesting things about this week right has been it's almost like the 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 illegality and the and the abuse of power has been so obvious um through the Zelensky call the Zelensky uh, transcript that was released um that even trump's cronies in the media have not been able to effectively defend him as they usually do. Because um, mm-hmm. if it was anything less, you know that they would be carrying his water once again. But the scandal is so kind of obvious and out in the open that the New York Times can't do its normal thing. That's why they are now kind of reduced to merely trying to out the whistleblower um, as opposed to actually defend – because they can't even defend Trump on this issue, which you know they want to. I mean, the, the coverage the coverage that Trump has gotten um, from our our legacy media 
um, I think has been really shameful. I think there's been no, there's been no, and again, this again is something I've, you maybe have heard me say before, but there has been no reckoning from the legacy media about their role in getting Trump elected in the first place, right? Yep. There's been no reckoning or accountability or understanding of just how terrible they were on the butthurt emails track, you know, um, on, on, on their coverage of Trump to begin with. Yeah. Um, so because they did not under- learn the mistakes of the past, learn from the mistakes of the past, they have just been continuing to make the same mistakes kind of going forward throughout his administration. Um, this week was different. Yes. And, you know, I've been trying to say, like, this, the way they have covered him this week is the way they should have been covering him all along. And it's the way that they are going to now have to understand that they need to cover him going forward. Um, I don't know if it will hold. I don't know if it will last. I, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you notice, right? And I, and I, I keep the, the Times story where they basically tried to out the whistleblower yeah. um, has really been sticking in my craw the Me last, too. you know, 14 to 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, one would hope that a paper with the stature and resources of the New York Times, upon seeing the whistleblower complaint, upon hearing about um, the, the phone call, um, would be doing everything it could to report out and see if they could independently corroborate um, the, the allegations in the whistleblower complaint. And that is not the direction they have gone in. Instead, nope. they have gone nope. in the direction of doing everything they can and using their stature and power and resources to out the whistleblower. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what, what are you doing? Like, how is that, how is that appropriate? Like, you, you have, you know, the story of the century – basically laid out for you and you're putting your investigative weight on figuring out who scooped you right essentially yeah, right it, it's it's uh, I, I, they i feel like at, at some point before this is all over um there are people at places like the new york times that will have to kind of answer for themselves and answer for what they've done you think so the, the executive editor of the new york times dean Baquet. I think, I don't know how to pronounce his name, put out, issued a statement today on why they basically doxed the, the whistleblower. And it reads, incredulously enough, quote, the role of the whistleblower, including his credibility and his place in the government, is essential to understanding one of the most important issues facing the country, whether the president of the United States abused power and whether the White House covered it up. Okay, why dox the whistleblower? They didn't explain right? anything. The the and all, the whistleblower is not the story. Exactly. The allegations from the whistleblower are are the story. Whether or not those allegations are credible are the story, and that's what they should be doing with themselves. Right? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, and now today, by the way, there is a new GoFundMe account set up. For the whistleblower, it has been confirmed. Helpthewhistleblower.org. Because this person now is going to have to protect himself against all of Trump's crazies. Because, of course, you heard Donald Trump at this breakfast on Thursday, uh, where he's supposed to be honoring the UN mission, uh, the U.S. mission to the UN. Um, he went ahead and what sounded like he's calling for uh, the uh, execution of either the with the whistleblower or whoever gave the whistleblower information that is accounted for in the in the complaint, um, this is stunning. Yeah, Trump's trying to intimidate not just the whistleblower, but again, if you read the the, the complaint, um, the whistleblower says that there are basically many government officials that can corroborate his or her story. Yep. And what Trump is doing in that in that in that talk. Um, that, that I think Eli Stilkos uh, reported mm-hmm. on, yep. um, what he's doing there is making a direct threat, not just to the whistleblower, but to all of the people who can corroborate the whistleblower's account, that if they corroborate it, if they help bring the truth to light, that Trump will use his massive powers as President of the United States uh, to find them and hurt them. Yep. Uh, it's... It, yeah. I, 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 you don't know what to say about that, because like it's so... It's so textbook mafioso bullcrap, but you, 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 people, I don't know that, you know, we started this conversation talking about the media. I don't know that the media is even appropriately outraged about what's happening, um, to say nothing of the American people.
Exactly. Ellie Mistal is with us. You can follow him on Twitter, and you should, at E-L-I-E-L-E-N-Y-C. Um, you tweeted something this morning, or last night, I guess. You wrote, things are moving so fast, this panel might have to be about President Mike Pence. <laughs> That's a scary thought. And and coincidentally enough, later ooh, uh, in, in uh, my program today, I have a guy named Tom Lobianco coming on to talk about his new book, Piety and Power, Mike Pence and the Taking of the White House. Um, Mike Pence is more and more implicated in this story as as facts emerge. He's a dangerous yeah, man. It's too. kind of amazing right? that Trump keeps like throwing him on the bus. I know, right? <laughs> Go get the go get the transcript of his call with the Ukrainian president. There are a couple of them. They were perfect. Like it's and it's like what? Is, okay, yeah, let's, right. Let's do that then. Oh my goodness! Sorry, yes, you and, were saying. And, and so, so your thoughts on Mike Pence? Would <laughs> would he be the next president, or should he be impeached as well? Um, I I I, I have a. One impeachment at a time, Paul. Okay. So, <laughs> I want to focus on, on one at a time. Play one game. Um, fight, only fight on one front at a time. Uh-huh. Look, I, I obviously, I, if Mike Pence is implicated in this, I just I can't even my my brain can't handle it. Um, I also want to see the transcripts of Mike Pence thanks yeah. to phone calls. Absolutely. Um, Mike Pence has clearly been complicit in the illegalities of this administration. Um, but has he been kind of an accomplice to it? Has he been has he been an accessory to it, or has he smartly kind of watched it happen but done the things to keep his hands clean? Um, we don't know, exactly. and I suppose we might find out at some point. I, I would but think so. Lo- I would hope so. But the larger point to me is this: I do not like Mike Pence. I do not like the things that Mike Pence stands uh-huh. for. I could easily spend the rest of my life. Um, uh, working against the policies of Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. He is a bad man with bad intentions. Um, but the, but it is a false equivalency to, to compare him to, to put him in the same boat as Trump. Um, it is just wrong to me to say that Mike Pence is just as bad or right. could be worse yeah. um, than Donald Trump because, I mean, here's the, I mean, the argument is always, well, Mike Pence will be worse because yeah. Mike Pence understands what he's doing, whereas Trump doesn't. And so Trump has been ineffective, whereas Mike Pence will be effective. That's wrong on two levels. One, Trump has not been ineffective at his key thing that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. The key thing that he wants to do is to be a bigoted, sexist, misogynist, racist, jerk face throughout the administration, and he has accomplished that at the highest possible level. It is the one campaign promise he has kept. So the, 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 the argument that Trump has been ineffective because he does not pass, he has been unsuccessful at passing legislation like repealing health care or what have you, um, I, I think is telling us telling ourselves a bit of a comforting bedtime story. He has stacked the government mm. with terrible officials. Yep. We see that through this scandal as we see the cowardice and incompetence of William Barr and the cowardice and incompetence, I'm sorry, of D- Director of National Intelligence Joseph oh, McGuire. Um, you know, that is the Trump effect, not just what he does, but the weak, craven people that he appoints throughout his administration. So, A, do not tell me that Trump has been ineffective. He has been deadly effective. Yep. Two, the other part of the argument is that, oh, well, Mike Pence will, understand, will be more effective because he understands the system. You know, Mike Pence is the kind of power behind the throne already. He is already kind of using his power to get through his horrible, you know, agenda. Um, that agenda is mainly focused on the courts, and I've written extensively about how he, he, you know, Trump and McConnell have stacked the courts with these kind of religious conservative um, anti-gay, anti-woman uh, uh, justices. Right. Um, Pence has been the point person on doing that. Um, so, and the legislative agenda is would not be advanced as long as the Democrats hold the House anyway. So, I do. There, there's no argument to me that Mike Pence would be more effective. Um, than Donald Trump, and then we get to the third point, which is that you know he, Mike Pence, again is a has a is a bad person with bad intentions. Right. Donald Trump is a unique threat to the functioning of American democracy. <laughs> exactly. Right. Mike Pence is a normal evil Republican. Right. <laughs> right. We have fought normal yeah. evil Republicans before. We have survived George W. Bush. Right. We have survived Ronald, Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Um, yeah. These were normal evil Republicans with terrible ideas um, that. The polity has overcome. Donald Trump is a threat to the functioning of the polity. 
and we have to be able to still distinguish between the two. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think Mike Pence is bad, but the, the argument that somehow we are better off with yeah. Trump as opposed yeah. to Pence, just, that's just wrong. I, I, I also, by the way, agree. Pence is much easier to beat in an election. Oh, without a doubt. There, there's, there's <laughs> no, no question there. No question there. We're in lockstep on that. Ellie Mistal, I love it when a guest makes sense. All right, time for a quick timeout. And then back with more from Ellie Mastal. And then we'll speak with a journalist named Terrell Starr, who spends a lot of time in Ukraine to give us the background of what's really going on over there. Once again, I am Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, guest hosting today's edition of The Broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. We're back at the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler filling in for Brad and Desi today. We're in the middle of a conversation with one of my favorite people to chat with. His name is Ellie Mastal. He is the executive editor of Above the Law at AboveTheLaw.com. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Ellie, E-L-I-E. NYC. And occasionally you'll see him on TV on MSNBC. I give MSNBC a hard time a lot, but you know, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't know of Ellie Mistal. So give credit where credit is due. So Ellie, I'm seeing some disturbing reports. Nancy Pelosi is making the rounds now talking to the media. And it seems like on the impeachment process that she's pushing for what what's being called a very narrow focus on Ukraine. I've got a quote. A senior Democratic aide said there will be, quote, very few hearings, if any, adding that the coming investigative work will largely take place in closed-door interviews. Um, look, I know she's a smart woman, but I think this is a huge mistake. Uh, we need hearings. The American people need to see this play out on their televisions every day to understand the severity of Donald Trump's behavior against the republic as a whole. And, and to focus the, 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 the impeachment on just Ukraine, um, the way I understand it is they could bring up a number of different articles of impeachment on different subjects. All it takes is one of those articles to pass for this president to be impeached. Republicans could theoretically vote no on a few of them and vote yes on one. Isn't it shooting us in the foot by limiting it to just Ukraine when this president is so guilty of so many impeachable offenses? So I love two minds on both of these issues. Okay. I, I really do see both sides on both of these issues. Okay. In terms of the closed-door hearings versus the public hearings, you know, up until six weeks ago or maybe six months ago, I would have been screaming, how dare you not do this in public? We, exactly what you said, Nicole. Yeah. We deserve to see it. Yes. We need to see it. Yes. That's how we move public opinion. Exactly. Man, have you seen how bad the Democrats are? <laughs> I have. They're horrible. They're like awful. They're actually terrible at yeah, it. They are. And they don't even seem to understand why they're terrible at it. You know, Lewandowski, they're Ugh. fumbling of Lewandowski um, until they finally let the lawyer, Barry Burke, uh, handle things. Yep. Um, was just, was act, was like, gave me like active, like almost a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. It yep. was so bad. It's like sitting right? in a dentist chair. Yeah. You know the 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 Mueller hearings generally were terrible. Yep. I mean, th- not because of, not because of the underlying information, because of the Democrats' inability to kind of surface that information correctly. Yep. So when I hear like maybe we're just going to do this in closed door hearings, like I, I that sounds bad. Except that I remember 
what the Democrats look like in front of Doris. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I oh, God, yeah, I don't know that I can I sit that. that. I don't know that I can sit through them screwing it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm of two minds there. And in terms of like the number of articles of impeachment, the lawyer in me says when you're going to charge somebody, you charge them with everything. Yeah. You, char- right. you charge them with – you throw the entire book at them. Because, like you say, you the jury only needs to convict on, on one. one, and you so throw you throw everything out there, and you do your best job, and so that's my first instinct. However, again, understanding how bad the Democrats are at this, um, I guess I understand the impulse to not complicate it, not confuse it to the American people, not allow Republicans to spend all of their time. To, I mean, already we saw in the in the McGuire hearings yesterday, Republicans want to spend all their time talking about the Mueller report, and they don't want to touch this Ukraine crap at all, right? right so right. taking all the Mueller report stuff out, taking the obstruction of justice out, I, it doesn't feel right to me, but I understand their impulse. The one thing that I feel kind of most strongly about is that if you're going to charge him with the Ukraine stuff, the, you don't need a crime, but the crime hook would be a campaign finance violation. Um, he, was, he was soliciting campaign help. Um, he, that was an in-kind, you know, starting an investigation on your political rivals is an in-kind contribution, and it's a violation of our campaign finance laws. Like, that, that's your simplest actual statutory hook for criminal activity, right? Mm-hmm. There is one other very obvious campaign finance violation that Donald Trump has committed that we all know about that's already been proved, and that is when he paid hush money to Karen McDougal yep. and Stormy Daniels yep. to get out of an affair. Like, that is the other campaign finance violation that we know about, and it feels like kind of charging him for one campaign finance violation and not charging him for the other campaign finance violation, which is actually basically already proven, um, that just doesn't feel right to me. So kind of from a constitutional perspective, if not a political one, I feel like you at least have to charge him. If you're going to do the you can't pray thing, you at least have to put Stormy Daniels yeah. and Cameron McDougal in there. If you want to ignore the... 10 counts of obstruction of justice. I mean, like, I guess I get it. It's, it wouldn't be my first thought, but I get where they're going with that. Gotcha. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the other side because I, I tend to get all hot and bothered but about <laughs> what I see that as the Democrats screwing up. And, you know, no, they're known to do that. I, I think you're right. It's just I think I think you're right. It's just that you're right in a world where the Democrats are competent. And once we remember, once we remember that the Democrats are incompetent, then you're kind of like, well, is this the way to kind of like hide our weakness and inability to do the right thing? I, I don't know. I don't know. And speaking of incompetence, here we are. We're recording this Friday morning, this afternoon. At the end of the week in which Nancy Pelosi comes around, the, the entire Democratic caucus, virtually, I think they're down to 12 now, who have not come out in favor of an impeachment inquiry. Um, uh, all this happened this week. So what do they do at the end of the week? They go on a two-week recess? What? Yeah, yeah, it's, I, you know, I like to tell people, look, I was born in Queens. Me too. I am a... I am a Mets fan, (laughs) and being a Mets fan my entire life Mm -hmm. has prepared me for being a Democrat all my entire life. (laughs) Uh It's the same kind of, like, gang who couldn't shoot straight incompetence that, you know, you just – sometimes 1986 happens, right? Like, sometimes sometimes they win, Um, but it's not just the losing. It is is the kind of – it's the bumbling towards the loss that really kind of – like gets under your under your skin. There's no reason why they should be going on recess. There's just there's no excuse for that. And you get the real politique of it. These Congress people want to go home to their districts to shake some hands and kiss some babies and raise some money and make sure they get reelected. Like that is that is the most important thing yep. to a congressperson and we all understand why. The only the most the thing they care about the most is getting reelected to Congress. Yep. Um, their inability to, and this is kind of through throughout the Trump era, their inability to put holding the criminal president accountable even ahead of their own political desire to get reelected to Congress is, is the Democrats' problem, is the key, you know, is the, is the, is the key, um, failure. 
without a doubt. You know, you you have to. You, they keep talking about how this president is a unique threat to American democracy, and they keep not treating him uniquely. <laughs> they keep not doing unique yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is it is at cross purposes, but that's Democrats for you. It's right? amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And at, least, it's- and at least they're not Republicans because you know Republicans <laughs> are even more, like you. You get what we get. The Republicans are even, at least Democrats are willing to acknowledge that Trump is a criminal president. You know, the Republicans are all trying to say that he did nothing wrong. Right. So it's you you you. you you go with the with the date that brought you, but man, yeah. it, it's what? frustrating, right? Oh my yeah. God! All right, one last question for you, Ellie Mastal. Who's going to fall farther, Attorney General William Barr, or I don't even know what to call him now, Trump's personal attorney Rudy Giuliani? The media wants Giuliani to fall harder um, because he's more famous. He has been in the news, um, you know, for for three decades. Right. Um, he's a crazy, rude idiot um, who is abusive to the media um, when he has the opportunity to be. Um, so the media kind of has it in more for Giuliani. I think in a rational polity, um, it is William Barr mm. who it should be on the cusp oh, yeah. of being defenestrated, tarred, feathered and banished this man is is supposed to be america's top law enforcement officer and instead he acts like trump's most important bathroom attendant it is it is unconscionable inconscionable to me that he has his job is allowed to keep his job that impeachment proceedings have not started against him yeah. like that that is such a huge problem and you see it up and down our government like the the, the effect of Barr's unwillingness to respect the rule of law affects every aspect of our government one way of looking at the mcguire testimony yesterday the 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 director of national intelligence as he cowardly explained why he didn't follow the law was that he went to William Barr, who himself was implicated in the report, in the mm-hmm. whistleblower complaint, mm-hmm. and he asked Barr's people, do I have to follow the law? <laughs> and Barr's people said, no, you don't. Oh, God. And right. McGuire right. said, well, you're the lawyer. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> you know, lawyer, should I expose you to the American pe- people? Um, no, you should not. Well, you know the law, and I don't, so I'm just going to listen to you. Like, that is one way to look at what McGuire did, that he was not a bad man. He was just a weak man who got legal advice from the attorney general. And the, that legal advice happened to be, you know, self-serving and criminal, but the attorney, but he's not a lawyer. The attorney general is, so he listened to the lawyer. Um, it, is, it is usual for other executive branch officials who do not have legal training to simply take the attorney general's word for what the law is and what the law is not. Mm-hmm. And so when you have an attorney general who is not willing to follow the law, who is not willing to stand up for the rule of law, who only interprets the law so that it can benefit his client, Donald Trump, as opposed to his client, the American people, you have, illega- you have lawlessness throughout the executive branch. Um, Barr should be the... Barr should be the focus of this investigation right after Trump. Unfortunately, I believe I believe Giuliani will end up being the focus right after Trump hmm. because he's such a cartoon uh, figure right. that he's an easier punching bag. Yeah, I hear you. But but Barr, this is the bigger abuse of power. This is you know, and, and let's look back on history. John Mitchell went to prison. Uh, Richard Nixon's attorney general. So yep. there's that. One last thing. You keep referring to McGuire as the director of national intelligence. Am I wrong in continuously pointing out he is not? He's the acting DNI. He has not been confirmed by the Senate. Therefore, I don't understand why this Congress allows all of these acting uh, cabinet members and, and uh, top line advisors to the president to be considered on the same level as those who have been confirmed by the Senate. It, can't they draw a line and say, no, you can't do this? You are so right, and you're, you're right to, to point out that I, I am not using his correct title. Mm-hmm. Um, he is acting. He, is not, he has not been confirmed by the Senate. He is in a temp job. Yes. Um, the problem is, what do you do to stop him, right? <laughs> like, um, you can't, you're not in the executive branch, so you can't, it's like you can't make him not go to work, right? Yeah, right. You can't make him not show up. You don't. You can't like 
uh, put police tape around his office. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So if you can't physically stop him from going to work, what can you actually do? And the only thing left would be to say that kind of like, well, anything he does henceforth is um, does not have the binding effect of law. Right. It's temporary. As is right? he. Yeah. Which would be an which would be an aggressive strategy. Okay, but Bring even then, <laughs> you still can't stop him from doing things like covering up the whistleblower complaint. Yeah, right. Yep. Like as long as he gets the keys to his office, um, there is very little that Congress can do. I think, and I think, look, I think there are maybe a hundred laws that the next president needs to pass in those first hundred days uh-huh. just based <laughs> on what we have learned from the Trump administration, yeah. right? Yep. Just based on the, you know, we need to codify some of our norms that Trump breaks into laws the next president cannot break. I'm sure the smart candidates like, you know, Elizabeth Warren, I'm sure she has a plan. I'm sure she has a list of all of these laws. But one of them certainly has to be um, actual statutory penalties um, for naming acting directors and not putting them up for Senate confirmation. Like, there's, there's, that has to be tightened up to, to the point where the acting director can only serve for like 20 days. Exactly. At which point, you know, th- there's gotta be actual statutory language around this now. Um, because why would any, I mean, this is, you know, one of the key factors, right? Why would any president going forward, not just Trump, not just Republicans, why would any president going forward put up their prized people for the, you know, sometimes really difficult Senate confirmation yep. if they can just name them acting. Exactly. Exactly. So, All right. I'm glad we I'm glad we agree on that, too. We agree on pretty much everything. Ellie Mistel, yeah. you are a, a national treasure. Thank you so much for, for joining <laughs> us. I, I, I so thoroughly enjoy listening to you when I see you on television. I, I enjoy talking to you even more. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. Have a nice one. You, too. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Again, you can find Ellie Mistal on Twitter at Ellie, E-L-I-E-N-Y-C. And his website is AboveTheLaw.com. He really is one of the good ones. All right. I'm Nicole Sandler, in for Brad Friedman. With all this stuff going on, there are so many questions swirling about Ukraine. Like, what's the deal? So I sought out a journalist who um, well, spent a number of years over there and is still over in Ukraine about every three months. His name is Terrell Starr, and he joins us next on the broadcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. I've been filling in for Brad and Desi for the last couple of weeks and will likely be here for at least another week as they deal with, well, Brad's father's illness and then his death and the funeral and family. And it is something that we adult children eventually have to go through. But I'm glad I could help Brad out. So we're holding down the fort here for him for as long as it takes. He will be back in the near future. I promise. With all the craziness in the news these days, I thought this would be a good time to take a step back and take a look at Ukraine because it plays such a big part in the current news cycle. So joining us on the line now is Terrell Starr. He's a reporter with The Root at theroot.com. You've also seen his byline at the Washington Post and many other places. And he covers Ukraine because, well, you've spent a lot of time there, yes? Yep. So started off uh, as a Fulbright grantee in 2009 through 2010. Uh, I have a master's degree in Russian East European Interagency Studies and another master's in journalism, both of which where I focused on conflicts in Eastern Europe. And before that, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. But in Georgia. So I have a very geopolitical perspective, you know, like a, a range of views and experiences in Ukraine, but also the other region and, and also other countries in the region that influence Ukraine. Now, the irony 
of the Trump call is that the things that Donald Trump was demanding is something that you normally hear or we would expect from an authoritarian leader in Eastern Europe, like yep. in Armenia or a yep. Ukraine in the case of Viktor Yanukovych or mm-hmm. in a country like Georgia. But again, you know, America has been telling the world about the rule of law, about civil society. And then we have in live time a U.S. president that contradicts all of that and somebody who has used his power very brazenly to be an authoritarian leader. So that is the irony of all this. You, you would expect Ukraine, uh, Ukraine figures to implicate themselves in something like that, but it wasn't. It's, it's America who is trying to bully Ukraine, who is very much dependent on the U.S., not only for military aid and financial aid, but also for geopolitical leverage over the EU in order to keep the uh, Europeans on on track to continue sanctions that um, – that are punishing the Kremlin for their actions in Eastern Ukraine in the annexation of Crimea. Right. Right. Your history with Ukraine goes back. You were there during the reign of Yanukovych, I'm guessing, and then Poroshenko. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> now, were you, were you surprised when Zelensky won election? Because he was a comedian, right? Yeah, he's a comedian. Yes. And so he, he's a comedian, but you have to keep in mind that Europeans in general, they don't have an exact conventional mindset of who should be a leader and who should not, right? Mm-hmm. Watching him, you know, on, I think it was Thursday of last week at the UN, it was pre-planned, but the, the fact that it happens like the day the transcript of the call and the whistleblower complaint come out is, is kind of interesting. I thought Zelensky looked really uncomfortable in that presser situation. And at one point, Donald Trump said to him, you know, you and you and Putin, you just need to work things out. I know you can do it. You'll get it. The look on his face was, I thought, sheer mortification. Well, what could he have been thinking at that moment? As far as was going through his mind, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's a hard guess. Of but course. The reality of it, but the reality of it is that the Ukrainians are in a very delicate situation where you know, this is the strongest relationship that they have at this point mm. because, you know, and we'll go into this when we talk about whistleblower complaint because yeah. this is somewhat connected. The reality mm-hmm. is that Ukraine needs America in order to keep pressure on the European Union to maintain the sanctions against Russia. Trump has shown that he does not want those sanctions to continue. He's very uncomfortable with them. Uh, and I think that everyone is, is universally convinced that Trump and Putin are working in tandem with each other. Uh, Trump, you know, really, he admires Putin. He wants to maintain a very friendly relationship with them. And if that means dropping the sanctions, that's fine. Now, Trump, you know, because he doesn't pretty much understand anything really well. I mean, he doesn't understand how strategically important Ukraine is for American national security, European national mm-hmm. security. He doesn't understand the dynamics of what it means if you if you would lose Ukraine to uh, Russia, which is pretty much not going to happen really because of the Kremlin's actions in eastern Ukraine. I just don't see Ukraine uh, folding to Russia. Now, what it will do is that it will weaken Ukraine to the point where if Trump does acquiesce to Putin, drops the sanctions, that means that the Europeans are not going to have incentives to uh, maintain you know, a, a, a tough posture against Russia. And so it means that it it gives a signal to the Kremlin that the West will allow Putin to do whatever they want in Ukraine. And Mm -hmm. so they're in a a very tough, sticky, uh, they're in a very tough situation now. I will say that the Ukrainians going, you know, um, and I'll briefly go into um, the call basically is that they don't they're, you know, they Trump may be perceived as strong arming, trying to strong arm Zelensky uh, Zelensky is a very adept person, right? Even though he's a neophyte when it comes to politics, he's very smart. Mm-hmm. He understands mm-hmm. he understands how to play to Trump's insecurity. Oh, and, and, that was and apparent. And right, and that was apparent. So, yep. so when you saw him talking about Merkel, who Trump doesn't like, and Merkel doesn't like Trump, we all, that's, that's just perfectly clear. Yep. Um, Angela Merkel, um, when, when Zelensky was saying, well, yeah, they're not doing enough, and the president of uh, France are not doing enough. That wasn't Zelensky 
trying to, you know, be negative towards them. It was, okay, we're playing towards Trump. And of course. diplomats and leaders in all those capitals know that's what he's doing. Right. So, and he was apparently mortified that that came out because he thought uh, the, uh, the news broke afterwards, after the call was released, that he thought only Trump's side of the conversation was going to be released. So yeah, this, because pretty much, yeah, yeah. So the thing about it is that those calls, normally when you're congratulating a president, they're supposed to be short and sweet. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he had no idea that Trump was going to ask him to try to launch an investigation into the son yeah. of uh, a political Trump, rival, you know, likely a political rival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's astounding. So so all that came out. I think he I think he handled it very well. I've actually been yeah. from what I've seen of Zelensky, really impressed with him trying to play middle ground, trying to doing his best to flatter Trump because he's learned the lesson that all world leaders have. That's the way to get to him. Point out that you stayed at the Trump Tower in New York. These are the way you win Trump's favor. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of things in that call in the transcript and in the whistleblower report that were really uh, concerning. Uh, I thought, you know, when when Zelensky said, I want to buy more of those javelins, and the next thing out of Trump's mouth was, I have a favor to ask of you, though. That to me, that is the quid pro quo. I mean, I don't understand. Very much. Right? The, the <laughs> Trump people and his apologists, you know, they're 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 masters at gaslighting, and you can show them a stop sign that you know is red, and they'll say that is blue. Um, this is what they're doing to us. So, you know, there was that, but then there was the other part that's. Equally disturbing when Trump brought up CrowdStrike, which is a debunked conspiracy theory alleging that it wasn't the Russians at all that hacked the DNC server, that that somehow this company CrowdStrike was involved and 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 it was somewhere held in Ukraine. Can you make any sense out of that? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I mean, honestly, because if I tried to intellectualize it, it would give credence to right. the conspiracy. So, I mean, I, it I, makes no, no sense. Just, All right. No, there's no. no there there. No. So what's happening in Ukraine now? I mean, they're sort of stuck between that proverbial rock and a hard place, aren't they? Yeah. But the thing is, so here's the thing. The, the, the phone call does not, the story is not as big there as it is here because the story does not implicate Zelensky. It implicates Trump. Mm-hmm. So, that, that, that's the most important thing. Uh, right now, it's more of a wait-and-see situation, obviously, because it's a news issue here. Uh, yeah, I mean, the media I was talking about. It, but the problem is is that in in Kiev, there are a couple things happening. And this is based on conversations I've had with people in over a few months. It, it's the, the new administration, they have a couple things going on. They're dealing with a green president has a wide range of issues because you know before this made the news Zelensky has to convince the international monetary fund he has to he has to convince other bodies that that they should continue a um to invest in ukraine business wise too to give it emergency uh uh funding to keep you know to keep uh to keep his uh books rolling over the next few years so he has all these other issues to deal with independent of trump's foolery so mm-hmm. so so those are major things he's, he's trying to keep a country functioning and you know particularly since he's green the thing about petro poroshenko for all uh his missteps and failures particularly when it came to corruption poroshenko was viewed as a very able diplomat mm-hmm. and, so, and he spoke perfect english he shepherded ukraine through literally through a war in one in one third of the country and and which it was at next. And so Poroshenko has to prove that he can even do that. That's a huge responsibility. Yeah, he beat Poroshenko, but Poroshenko did do that. I mean, <laughs> and that may not sound like a lot to us over here in America, but the, but given that 13,000 people have been killed on Ukrainian mm. soil over the past five years, mm. what Poroshenko did was a miracle. And if Zelensky could do that, then he has done a whole lot. And so far, people are, there's a 50-50 conversation on whether or not he can do that. So his hands are full. That's mm-hmm. exactly what's going on. It's that, okay? Now, going back to Trump. Yeah. So so the thing about Trump, you have to remember that the, this is, the Ukrainians 
are used to being bullied by the criminals. Yep. They have been under some form of annexation, uh, Soviet occupation, czarist rule over hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. A phone call for Donald Trump trying to manipulate Zelensky to uh, launch an investigation in exchange for some javelins is not going to be the first thing that breaks them. So let's just be clear about that. Now, it's a precarious situation, but it's not one where they're instantly going to break because they're used to dealing with the Putins of the world throughout their throughout their existence. Right. So, right. you know, right now it's just basically a wait and see to see how this folds out. Much of it is they're depending on the Americans to do their part. And I think that it's something that's, you know, what's happening with the Congress and the fact that our institutions of power isn't working is something that's disillusioned a lot of Ukrainians. Um, and give. And so it's a wait and see situation. Sure. Again, we're speaking with Terrell Starr. You can find him on Twitter at Russian underscore star. So we talked about the stuff that came out in the in the call, not a transcript and the whistleblowers right. report about, you know, the weapons and what seemed like quid pro quo and the and the nonsense over this crowd strike conspiracy theory what i didn't bring up yet because i think it's a separate story is the whole biden thing now right i th- i believe there is there is something there that needs to be investigated that we need to know about i think it's separate and distinct from the whole donald trump mess which i think needs to be brought up on its own of course trump's people want to conflate the two they want to divert attention away from his uh, treasonous behavior with this Joe Biden thing, which again has nothing to do with the Trump story. But so let's talk about Biden for a second. My view, uh, and not having spent an inordinate amount of time researching it, what I see is is, is uh, Hunter Biden taking yes. advantage, trading on his father's name to get a job on a board of a of an oil or gas company in Ukraine for which he is wholly unqualified makes $50,000 a month. Um, It's sleazy. It's creepy. It's immoral, perhaps, but I don't know that it's illegal. And Joe Biden, for his part, could have stopped it, could have said to his son, hell no, you don't capitalize on my name and my position like that. And he didn't. So I I believe it's wrong. But did they break any laws? Did they do anything illegal? No. So that's that's the reality. Uh, And the thing is, is that this is relatively common. Like you said, we can have another conversation about should it be illegal, mm-hmm, right? So, mm-hmm. and I personally think that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. I think it should be illegal. But the thing is, it wasn't illegal. And, and, and two, the investigation, and, and uh, for the second time, I forget the general prosecutor's name uh, who was presiding over that case. But right. that right. case, that investigation into Biden's dealings, it, it was dormant, right? And so, now the thing is, is that, in regard, the bigger issue is the prosecutor who was uh, who was actually fired um, by Poroshenko, mm-hmm. who was actually let go by Poroshenko, and Trump's argument and Giuliani's argument and by the Republicans' argument, which is intellectually disingenuous and just wrong in their line, is that Biden used like um, I'm sorry, I'm going back to this. Let me, I'm going to the father. So let me finish with the son. The son. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. No problem. But the son, no. To answer that question, it's not illegal. I think that's pretty much to it. Now, if we talk more into it, it would kind of wait. It would it would flame. It would it would um it would basically kind of uh, fan the flames a bit into things that we don't know. But as far as we know right now, nothing illegal was done. As much as we morally don't like. Uh, what the son did, it's not illegal. Uh, I think the larger issue is that the bigger allegation is made against Joe Biden, which was um, that he was he's accused of of forcing uh, Poroshenko to let go the general prosecutor who was presiding over corruption at the right, time. Right. Now, okay, so here, okay, so here's the thing. That's just <laughs> that's incredibly bogus. For one, the entire EU, the, the EU wanted him gone. Let's right. just be clear about right. that because he wasn't investigating corruption. That was the main thing. And any time, the thing is that foreign aid going into Ukraine was, um, was leaking like a six. And so if, and so Europeans are saying, if we're giving you all this money and you're not investigating, you're not adequately investigating, um, uh, a corruption, they need to fix that. And fixing that was getting rid of that prosecutor. And that's what they did. And, and that's typical politics. 
right? That's typical diplomacy. That's not something that's illegal or something that's just out of the realm. I mean, it happens all the time. And it wasn't as if that action had anything to do with the election. And, and, and anybody suggesting that, it's a, it's a stretch. Right. And the thing is, Trump and his people are propping up the, the, you know, the, the prosecutor that, that Joe Biden intervened to get fired as a good guy. Nothing in the world says he was a good guy. Everybody agrees he was the bad guy that needed to be pushed yes. out. He was the corrupt one. So by Trump saying, oh, we're working on anti-corruption and Joe Biden pressured them to fire the prosecutor who was looking into this, the company that his son worked for, that's all nonsense. But the thing is, you know, like I said before, everybody wanted to bond. If, <laughs> that's the whole thing. If, if this guy had a stellar record uh, rooting out corruption, that would be a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. But no, the reality is that everybody wanted him gone, and he ended up leaving, and that Trump, and he ended up being released. But the thing is, is that Trump, he's, he's grasping at straws. But the thing, but the reason why, and that, and that goes back to Ukraine, right? In, in order for, I think, the American public, because that's what I'm thinking about. How is the American public looking at this? Mm-hmm. How how do we do, does the average American know how typical this is? One. Um, the son didn't do anything. Hunter Biden, Hunter, Hunter, um, is it doing anything to help his father's cause by being a part of this board and being paid fifty thousand dollars per month? Right. That looks bad, but it's again, it's not illegal. Um, but from a public relations perspective, it doesn't look good. Again, none of this has anything to do with Joe Biden who, as a diplomat, who Obama, as a vice president, who Obama dispatched to Ukraine. I mean, the man literally spoke before the Ukrainian parliament. You can Google Joe Biden Ukrainian parliament, Mm -hmm. where he was really railing railing against the parliamentarians to root out corruption. It's not a secret. That's the thing. So... The, uh, it's interesting to see how the American public is responding to this because if they don't know that this is very typical diplomacy, then it will look shaky. But in reality, it very much isn't. This is much to do about nothing, and this is a distraction by Donald Trump. Exactly, and that's the point. And that's why I wanted to get the good background on Ukraine because there's so much misinformation out there, of course, being put out by the, the, the Trump camp. So, um, uh, Terrell, I'm going to add something. Yeah. Add something yes. Go so ahead. Going back to the disinformation. Mm-hmm. Look, the, the, the thing about the irony is that the number one job, the thing that Obama really worked to do via Joe Biden was to help Ukraine root out corruption, mm-hmm. to create institutions where the leadership would be able to address those issues. Now, you have a president who is a kleptocrat. I mean, because the White House is a kleptocracy at this point. Let's just be clear about that. It is a full-fledged kleptocracy. And so you have a kleptocratic American president who is encouraging corruption in a country that is rife with it. So that's the irony of it, right? And so the corruption was the number one campaign pledge that Zelensky said that he was going to right. root out. Yep. Now... It's not Zelensky telling, you know, trying to powwow with Trump to do something that's corrupt. It is the American president, the leader of the free world, who is encouraging corruption because he does it here in America. And he has a a Republican Congress. He has a Republican Senate that is aiding and abetting in it. How ironic is that? Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's, it's, and this is so, uh, this is a perfect example of life in Trump's America. This is the mass confusion, uh, throwing all kinds of nonsense against the wall to see what sticks. This is how he does things. Hopefully this will be the final straw. Terrell Starr, thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully we can uh, pick your brain some more as we move on. Uh, people can find you at theroot.com and, of course, on Twitter at Russian underscore star with two R's. Terrell, thank you so much. It was great talking with you and meeting you. Hey, thank you. Same here. And with that, we've reached the end of another edition of The Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, filling in for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen on this episode of The Bradcast. And as Brad always says, good luck, world. <laughs>